Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon is from Colossians 3:18 through 4:1. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Colossians in your Bible. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. You, Sam, that's the word of the Lord for us today. Right after he read, uh, wives submit to your husbands, I heard someone say, here we go. (laughs) I think that came from over this direction. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah, I I imagine that this this passage, uh, actually I made a comment last week in Bible study that I I thought we were skipping these and I'd got my weeks out of of order. And someone was like, but I have so many questions about this particular passage. We did, we're not uh, skipping it, even though maybe I wanted to, because I think in a lot of times, this p- passage has been read out of, out of context, or, or taken out of context, and, and made it to say things that have done damage uh, to others. But I, 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 we'll come back to that, but I want to start with a question, though. Um, do you have any relationships that need to be reimagined, or re-envisioned? Ones that, that you know are not quite right, where there is either just aloofness or there is open conflict or there's secrets, um, things hidden, uh, just stuff that you would like to get out between you. And, and, and you seem to be caught up maybe in patterns of behavior that, that, ever, that don't, don't ever move that relationship from maybe the defunct dysfunction that it's in into something that's a little bit, uh, well, a lot better, hopefully. Ultimately, I, I think if we were honest, we could all say yes. We all have those kinds of relationships. And most of the time, they're with people that we love, and it hurts us really bad, right? But, but sometimes we, we, just, we have a failure of imagination to be able to say, this relationship could be done in a different way. That the patterns of behavior that we've engaged in don't have to exist here and now. That maybe Jesus has done something to heal and to fix or give us the possibility of fixing those relationships. Ultimately, I think this is, this is one of the main things I think that Paul is driving forward to for us. Uh, that as much as Colossians is really theological, it is all about helping the Colossians have relationships that have been reimagined 
and re-envisioned. Relationships with God, and I think just as importantly, relationships with each other. Uh, we've started out, and we, we noticed that, that Paul is, he gets really theological about who Jesus is as the uh, firstborn of all creation and, and the, the one who, through whom all things hold together. And, and he made a case that, that Jesus is just the supreme authority, the supreme being of, of everything. Of course, he's still God, got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But he makes this case that, that Christ is in everything and, and he is reconciling all these things to us and, and that we should not give ourselves in worship to anything or anyone else. And he said, he moves forward, though after he kind of makes a case for who Jesus is, he, he ends up saying that we, because of our baptism, because of our desire to follow Christ, that we have been united with Christ in a significant way. Um, there are... Uh, one preposition, in and with. It's really the same, it's kind of the same one in Greek. And so it could, could go either way. Paul's saying you are, by virtue of your baptism, you are in and with Christ. You have been united with him. And this fundamentally changes the structure of not just you, but hopefully the world around you. Uh, last week we talked, though, that um, he says, because you are this way, because you have been uh, united with Christ, because you are in and with Christ, well, there are some practical implications for that. You need to take off, he uses this kind of clothing imagery, you need to take off things like idolatry, which, and there's a whole list there, and it's all about loving ourselves and kind of worshiping ourselves. We take off that selfishness and anger and malice and slander. All these things that, that keep us from looking like we have truly been united with Christ. And he says, instead, instead you need to put on compassion and kindness and patience and mercy. All of these things. And, and we said last week that not only are these the, the things that Christ is going to clothe us with, that we participate in in becoming those things and exhibiting those characteristics. that we said that this really is who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is the, the greatest and the strongest and the bestest, but he's also the most patient and the most humble and the kindest and the most compassionate. So this is who, who Christ is making us into because we have been united with Christ. He says, though, there's one last, piece of, one last piece of clothing that you need to put on over all of those other virtues, and that's love, which binds the whole thing together. Because I don't, I don't know you can be kind without being loving. I don't know you can be compassionate without being loving or patient, maybe. I don't know. But that's the, the, the uniting force of, of who we are to be. And this is why, this is why I pray for us all the time, and I say it all the time, that we, might, that we might be able to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Paul is pushing us that way. In fact, it, well, regardless of Paul, I think the entire scope of Scripture is pointing us that direction, from the Old Testament to the New. Well, uh, Paul is going to focus in again on some, uh, 
some practical implications for that. So we get today's passage, and it's usually known as a household code. Now, a couple of things are important for us to understand here, is that in Roman culture, to which this letter has been written, in a family, the oldest male has the right to do pretty much anything with anything that they own or with anyone who is in their family. So um, if you are, an old, you are the patriarch of your family, what you say goes, and, and you can use the people in your family in any way that you would like. Uh, in fact, wives and, and children, even male children to, to a certain extent, uh, could just be used for, for whatever. And, and husbands, if a wife loved her husband, that would be good. But, uh, and I'm not saying, this is blanket statements, right? Um, I'm not saying no Roman man ever loved his wife truly, but they were, Roman men were, were free to go and visit the temple prostitutes or just to engage in all kinds of other things without really any, anybody thinking it was anything because they were the most, uh, the most, the mostest, uh, the bestest. Yeah, there we go. They were the, the most superior people. And uh, not only was this kind of like inscribed in the family systems, but this was really even law. And, and I came across this quote by Aristotle, and I think that uh, this, this outlines pretty clearly. For that some should rule others be ru- uh, and others be ruled is a thing that not only is necessary, but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjugation and others for rule. In other words... Aristotle thought that if you were a dude and you had landed on things, you had been born into uh, the power to be able to rule over other people. And if you had not been born in that position, well then, well then you were to be ruled. And they took this, they took this kind of seriously. Um, Aristotle wasn't a total bad guy, but we have this here, so, you know, I don't know. But uh, it was just the way, the air that they breathed. And they, they couldn't imagine those relationships being any other way. That was just the way the world was ordered. Now, fast forward a couple thousand years. Um, this sentiment doesn't go away very easily. In fact, I would say in some places, even in America, it hasn't gone away. Uh, this sentiment is what led... Uh, Spanish conquistadors to go to South America uh, because they believed they had a, a mission to Christianize and civilize the world. And what that meant was that they were in charge and they could tell everybody what to do. They were the height of God's creation and the poor native uh, people of um, the Americas were, well, it was our burden to rule and to subjugate them. That's just, that's good. this stuff is not gone, right? And, and I dare say that I think that some people, even though they would not necessarily say it, still believe this to be the case. My point is, is that it is part of, of the air that we breathe in a way that we, we don't know. Uh, it, it's part of uh, the culture that's just there. And it makes us hard to re-envision and reimagine the relationships that we're in. 
Now, we're going to focus down. We're not going to talk systemically or culturally at this particular point. Paul narrows down into the family. And so the, the best one of all, we want to say, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Paul's taking the normal order of the family. And he's kind of turning it on its head. Uh, I was reminded today, uh, Bill did. He said in reading this passage, he had to go back and read verse 17, which was part of last week's text. So we have to, we have to read all of this in its context together. So Paul says right before this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then, wives, be subject to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Jesus takes this, well, just this matter of fact that wives should be completely submissive to their husbands and he balances it out. He says, yes, wives, submit to your husband, but it's not just a, uh, I, have, I have no brain and you have to tell me what to do, but it is a, I love you and because I love you, I'm going to do my best to honor and protect you. And I think Paul's saying, and we can't read the second part, husbands love your wives and never treat them harshly. I think that is also Paul saying to men, your wife is a gift from God. Uh, the relationship that you imagine is the norm is not. And your job in this relationship is to love and to care and to honor and to protect. There, there's a phrase that, that I've latched onto, and it has, it has shaped my vision for just everything over the last, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, we don't like the word submission, but I find that if we put mutual in front of it, I think it gets close to what Jesus is talking about. Mutual submission. Uh, That I submit to you out of love for you, and you submit to me out of love for me. And I think that's how the husband and wife marriage is supposed to be. That that one is not over and above the other. But that there's a mutuality there. That we give ourselves to each other as befitting as is fitting in the Lord, and that we do this with giving thanks to God through our Father and through him. Paul is re-envisioning these relationships. Move on. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty to the Lord. Okay, we get that, right? Um, We're parents, uh, we function as part of our kids' brains, right? Uh, their, their ability to make the correct decisions is not quite fully formed. I don't know if you two know that. Um, so it's our job. It's our job to, to help you make the right decisions. But, but, fathers do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. I need to confess. Yesterday was a cross-country meet. And so two of our boys, Nate and Sam, are both running cross-country. Nate's a freshman in high school, and Sam is a seventh grader. And I, I love cross-country meets. They're so much fun. You get to see a whole bunch of people. You get to cheer. But Josh, 
I don't know how many times I told him not to like pick up a stone and throw it. We're not talking like little ones, but we're talking like big ones. And Josh is, Josh is just full of energy and life. And he's just, he's soaking it all in and wanting to do all of the fun things. But it was warm and he got to me. And he was not, he was not obeying me in the ways that I would like to. Now, I, Josh is a wonderful kid. I'm not speaking poorly of him. I am confessing that I probably provoked him to lose heart. In fact, I know I did because we, we got home and, and he's practicing piano and uh, we have an electric piano and they've got headphones to plug in and he just mindlessly is always moving. And so some of those things hurt headphones. I don't know how many headphones we've, we've bought and I just got so mad. And like I, I, I raised my voice and I just saw him melt. And I'm like, And I said to Lori, I've got to go preach about not provoking my children tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. I, I tell that because like, I think it, we all know this, right? We all, we all feel this, well, those of us who have, have kids. Uh-huh. But I think, I think Christ is re-envisioning that relationship too. That our children aren't just to obey us, but that we are to do everything that we can to help them grow and become. And that, that means even sometimes we, we might submit back to them. Mutually, right? With an acceptable bounds, because they're kids. But Paul is reimagining and re-envisioning these relationships. Now, it struck me this morning, too, that uh, the majority of this passage is about slaves and masters. He spends, like, this little time on the family and this on what is most arguably the greatest problem in, well, the world has been, still is. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Then he goes on to tell them to to do whatever they're doing as if they are doing it for Christ. Because at the end of the day, Christ is their Lord together. He goes on and he says, Since you know that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. I I think... Okay, so uh, you might get, get on Paul a little bit for not expressly condemning slavery. Uh, But I think part of what Paul is wanting us to do, as we seek to reimagine and re-envision relationships, he's calling us to find ways to do that in the kingdom of God that is already here but is not yet quite complete. That yes, Christ has come and he he is making a new way for us to imagine all of these kinds of relationships and we are finding freedom in that. But the world is still the world, and God is still working in it to bring it finally and fully to completion. And so what I think that Paul wants us to do is to look at our surroundings and understand how it is that we are the hands and feet of Christ here and now. How do we, as followers of Christ, parent or live in marriage? How do we 
How do we navigate things like oppression and slavery and injustice? He's not sugarcoating the way the world is, but he's reminding us. He's reminding us that the world as it is isn't how it will be one day. And if we read in the rest of all of this, that you and I have a place to play as we re-envision these relationships. We have a part to play in helping others to see things differently as well. I could, uh, I could say a lot of more things on that particular passage, but I think there's maybe a little bit more uh, things that we need to say, I think, to bring all of this together. Ultimately, I think the question that we need to ask, what, okay, let, let me back up for a second. What I think that this passage is all about, it is all about you and I understanding that our relationships with each other are ones of equality across the board. They are relationships of mutual submission. A mutual submission that is fueled by love and kindness and compassion and patience. I I will have to be honest with you. This has been the driving factor of my life. The fact that that I don't need to have someone... uh, I I don't need... To lord myself over anybody. As a, as a pastor, as your pastor, I, I don't have to be like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is the only way to be Christian, which we talked about that a few weeks ago. But that the healthiest and best way for us, if we are going to look like Christ, is to love each other and submit to one another. Because this is the nature of who God is ultimately. I think, I think maybe, maybe we need to ask the question, what would, what would our church, what would our world look like, what would our families look like if we seek, ceased elevating ourselves in importance over others? I've been around the church long enough to see that the most amount of damage that any one person can cause in a church, in a family, in a workplace is when they think that they inhabit a place of power and authority over the rest of the folks. It happens to pastors. It happens to everybody else. Uh, you can read about it on the news. I have, for the longest time, wanted our church, wanted my position within this church to not be one of elevation over you, but with you and for you, loving and learning together. What would it look like if we stopped trying to elevate ourselves over others?
what would it look like if we saw all of our relationships as being mutually beneficial? What, what if we had that attitude towards the world, too? See, I think, I think a lot of times, too, Christians have said, we have the truth. They would never say this out loud. We're better than you. And so, we think we're right, so we're going to coerce you into looking like us from a position of moral authority. And, and I'm airing my dirty laundry from, from growing up, too. Like, uh, Christian worldview, uh, culture wars, things like that. Uh, that's not this. That's not what Paul is, is urging. And, and maybe this isn't connected or makes sense to you, but it, it does to me. What if our, what if our Christian worldview was about mutual submission, about not elevating ourselves above each other in the church or outside of the church? What would, what would, our, what would that look like? What if we were known for doing that instead of always being known for what we are against? For being us over them. Do you know what's impossible with an us over them uh, mindset? Reconciliation. Healing. Restoration. We will never be able to bring people into a reconciled relationship with God or their family or their neighbors if it is always us versus them. In fact, I will go ahead and say that we, if we adopt that posture, we will be working against the grace of God in the world. What what would it look like if we re-envisioned not just the husband and wife relationship and not just the father, son, mother, child, aunt, uncle, not if you, even if we just re-envisioned all of the well, slavery and things like that. What would it look like if we re-envisioned our relationship with the world, the church's relationship with the world, where our approach is not us versus them. It's not for or against, but it's with. It's with in a loving, mutually submitting kind of way. If our church is true, if our church is serious about reaching lost people for Jesus. It will mean, well, it, it will require us to do so not from a place of moral authority, but from a place of mutual submission. I hope that makes sense. I, I hope, well, we're going to do this. And, and like I told the kids, uh, you know, God loves us regardless of what we do. Like, 
that cross is not a symbol of us versus them. Right? Uh, Jesus willingly allowing himself to be killed is not a symbol of, here's all the things you shouldn't do. It is a symbol of God's faithfulness to us when we have been actively against him. A theology of us versus them wasn't Jesus. I think that was the Pharisees. Which is part of the reason that happened that way. So as we receive this meal, we ask ourselves, am I able, through the power of God's spirit, to re-envision all of the relationships within my life? Family, friends, church, church and world. Am I able to see that God's kingdom is more about loving and reconciliation than it is a list of do's and don'ts? Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit TakeItToTheHeart.com.